0: We're going to go straight into it then. Cain and Abel. Lots of us who have grown up in church uh, would have heard this story a lot of times, wouldn't we? It goes just kind of like Leanne just read it. Basically, what we know is that Cain was the firstborn son of Adam and Eve and Abel was his younger brother. Uh, When they grew up, they had jobs. They went out to work the land. Uh, Cain worked as uh, a growing all the fruit and all the veg, we imagine, and Abel went out and looked after all of the livestock. Uh, what we know is that for reasons which Dave went into really well last week, um, we know that they, it came a time where they had to make an offering to the Lord, and the Sunday school version of the story goes that uh, Cain uh, wasn't very happy because Abel came and brought, as it says in the verses that we read, uh, the best, the fattest, the first of his flock. And the Sunday School version goes that kind of came, brought kind of any old veg, basically. The, the image I have in my head is, you know those bowls of nearly mouldy fruit and veg you can get for a pound outside the newsagents? agents? Uh, that's the image that I have, that, you know, that Abel came and brought the best, and, Cable brought, and Cain brought one of those. Anyway, so um, God is unhappy because Abel's offering is so much better than Cain's, um, so he accepts Abel's, he doesn't accept Cain. Cain is envious that he doesn't accept his offerings, he's envious of Abel, so he kills him. Uh, the moral of the story, the Sunday school lesson says, is that you should always bring your best to God. Straightforward. All done, yeah? Um, The thing is, that's not actually what the Bible says. Let's read these verses again. This is verses two to five. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favour. Cain worked the soil, so he brought some fruits of the soil. Abel kept the flock, so he brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Now, there is an argument that because Abel's offering was described as fat and from some of the firstborns, and Cain's offering isn't described at all, you could argue that that means that Cain's offering wasn't his best, but that is a stretch, and it's not what the Bible says. So this idea that Abel gives his best and Cain doesn't is basically unbiblical. The truth is, we don't know why God favored Abel and not Cain we just don't. Here's a a theologian called Walter Brueggemann, um, who is one of the best Old Testament theologians around, and and, and he says, um, the trouble comes not from Cain, but from Yahweh, the strange God of Israel. (laughs) Conventional interpretation is too hard on Cain and too easy on God. Like the narrator, the writer of the story here, we must resist every effort to explain this story there's nothing here of God preferring cowboys to farmers. Now, if Walter Brueggemann thinks we should cut Cain a bit of slack, we should cut Cain a bit of slack, okay? Um, So this isn't a straightforward tale about bringing God your best. Obviously, that's an admirable thing to do, and it's good that we teach kids to bring God their best. That is obviously a good thing to do. But if that isn't what this story is about, what is it about? Well there are loads of things that we could say about this story and we'll go into a few of them I'm sure in a bit of depth in a few months time. We're going to do another series later on in the year looking at some of these stories from the first few chapters of Genesis. So I'm not going to go into the full detail of this story but we are going to look at one thing. This story is what the Bible calls the founding murder myth. Um, It's the first time in the Bible that somebody is killed by the hands of somebody else. Um, Cain is jealous of Abel's standing in the eyes of God. He wants that position. He wants to be the one who brings the sacrifice that's pleasing to God, so he kills Abel. This is René Girard, who's a French anthropologist and theologian. I'm quite envious of how cool René Girard looks. Um, uh, Certainly when I get to that age, I would like to look quite as cool as him. Um, He's got an anthropological theory called mimetic rivalry. He says that all human societies are based on the same thing. That's triangular rivalry and the need to sort out the violence that arises from triangular rivalry. What is triangular rivalry? Well, to explain, I am going to need three volunteers. Who would like to come up and help me talk about triangular rivalry? Hands up. I'm just going to pick people. If you don't, Leanne, excellent. Gareth. we need one more from over this side of the back somewhere. Anybody? Jerry. Well done. Excellent. Good volunteering. Thank you. Uh, so I need you three to stand here, please. Uh, Jerry, you're uh, in this instance going to be God. Well done. Uh, Leanne, you you get to choose, Cain or Abel? Abel. Abel, and you're going to be Cain, and you're going to stand right here, looking at God, please. Uh, So, triangular rivalry. Um, All humans have within themselves a desire for stuff, be that a new car, a new house, a new job, a partner. There's an old Danish proverb which goes, if envy were a fever, the whole world would be sick. The problem is that in society, we all have to live alongside other people who might want the same thing. So we'll now switch. Jerry is no longer God, sorry. You're now a job. And you two work in the same department. And you want the job. The problem is, there's two of these guys and there's only one job. So the closer that they get towards getting the job the closer they get to each other and they have to battle to get the job. This is its just great acting. It's fantastic. It's exactly what I was after. Um, this is triangular rivalry right there. And actually, another thing that goes alongside this is that sometimes when somebody else gets the thing that's there... you didn't even realize you wanted, suddenly you really want that thing. Have you ever known that thing where there was this girl that you kind of liked and then she's got a new boyfriend and suddenly she becomes the most attractive person in the world to you because it's too late and you can't get her anymore? That's the kind of thing that works in triangular rivalry as well. So the problem is that often the outcome of this triangular rivalry is violence. So you're now God again, you're now Cain and Abel again, you're back over here, and Cain and Abel both want the one thing that God is offering. Offering. They want to be affirmed by God, and they come together. But God doesn't like one of them. He only likes the other one. I've forgotten which one's which now. But anyway, as long as, as, long as, as long as God knows, that's the important thing. And so it leads to rivalry, and it often leads to violence. That is the end of our wonderful, um, well done, example. Your Oscars are in the post. Um, so... Um, we see this quite a lot in the Old Testament. Just one more example from Genesis chapter 37 where Joseph's brothers are jealous, they're envious of the relationship that Joseph has with their father. Their father loves Joseph more than anybody else and consequently it leads to violence and they try to kill Joseph before eventually selling him into slavery. We fight for the things that we want and in the Old Testament as society grew more and more violence ensued. Um, fast forward to Exodus chapter 20 and we arrive at the Ten Commandments. Um, unfortunately we haven't got time this morning to get into what happens between Genesis 4 and Exodus chapter 20 but suffice to say there's definitely been some more envy and there's definitely been some more violence. Um, so here are the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath on your father and mother, do not kill, commit adultery, steal, give false testimony, and the last one, you shall not covet. Now, when we talk about envy, we probably don't think too badly of it, do we? We probably don't think it's that big a deal. I mean, after all, in in René Girard's example, as long as when I'm coming together to get the thing I want, as long as I deal with that well, and it doesn't lead to violence, is it really that big a deal? Is it really that important? But clearly it is important to God. And not just because it's one of the Ten Commandments, but also it's mentioned so many more times in the Bible. Proverbs 14.30, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. For where... You have envy and selfish ambition. There you find disorder and every evil practice, James 3.16 says. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Two examples from Corinthians. That was 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 13 is a bit more well-known. Love does not envy or boast. And the last one, of which I could have chosen many... The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. It's really interesting how little we talk about this kind of thing, isn't it? It's really interesting how little we look at these sins which are internal the sins which are about our heart and our mind. How many times have you read articles, heard church leaders talk, heard sermons about sexual immorality or any of those other things? Compare that with the number of times that you've heard people stand up and talk about how we shouldn't be envious of others. Um, Another interesting thing about uh, this commandment, it's the only one that's not about a direct outward action. This is about internal. It's about a mindset Um, Do not steal, do not murder, do not commit adultery. They're all things that you do that are external, but this one is internal. You could covet something or someone, and not necessarily would anyone know that. But it's interesting, because it's this one that often leads to the others. So it's because you covet somebody else's partner that you have an adulterous relationship. It's because you covet something that somebody has that you steal, Or maybe you murder. Often we hear hear the Ten Commandments talked about as as a set of rules. You know, they're they're the things that Christians have to live by. And if they don't, God will be angry. But the other thing about this one is that I think this is probably one of the best examples of why that is not the case. Because if you covered something, chances are no one's going to find out. This is about internal. This is about your heart and your mindset. You can break this one and get away with it. So it's a terrible rule if that's all it is. But the Ten Commandments are a covenant. They're not rules. They're a pact. They're guidelines to protect the health of the community. Here's another theologian, Terry Fretheim, and here's what he says. Coveting cannot be regulated or policed, let alone clearly observed. The language of instruction, instructions for how to live your life better within community. The language of instruction is more appropriate. Only God can look upon the heart, can observe the presence or absence of obedience with the human spirit. It's a personal thing. And as such, I think it demands a personal response What is it that you're envious of? Is it a person? Someone who's got a better job than you? More money than you? A better house than you? Bertrand Russell says, envy is one of the most potent causes of unhappiness. I think that sometimes we can be envious of others because of a perceived failure, failing about ourselves, Something that we don't like about ourselves leads us to be envious of other people. Sometimes we look at other people, don't we, and we say, oh, if only I was like him. If only I was taller, thinner, cleverer, faster, more funny. If only I was like him. I'm not, I'm, I'm not normally envious, I'm just, you know. I'm, I, if, but if only I was a bit taller. If only I was a bit stronger. If only I was just a bit more like him, then my life would be sorted. I think one of the huge drivers at the moment behind this kind of envy is social media. There are loads of great things about social media but lots of problems as well. Let's just watch this video very quickly. Do we present our real selves online or do we present a hyper-idealistic version of ourselves? I saw a survey recently which said that 50% of people admitted to posting something online, a photo or a check-in at a glamorous location or something, purely to cause envy amongst their family or their friends. 75% of people admitted to making their lives seem more exciting on Facebook than it actually was. And let's be honest, a lot of that other 25% were not probably being completely truthful, were they? Um, here is a photo. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, that is Seren, uh, our daughter. She is five. Um, and I took that photo on the last day of the summer holidays in September last year. Um, we've got another little Anne, She was in nursery. And Louise, my wife, was in work. And I had the day off. Um, and we'd been kind of juggling the childcare for the six weeks of the school holidays as we always have to do and I had the last week and, and it was the last day that she'd be off before starting reception the day after and I thought, right let's make it a good one. So we got up early, we went to the park, we walked across the bridge and we stopped on the bridge and we waved at boats coming through and we walked over to Covent Garden and we watched some street theatre and we walked back across the bridge and stopped again looking at some boats coming through and, um, and then we went out for lunch and um, I took this photo, I thought, let's go for pizza, that would be, know, be an exciting thing, won't it? So I... Um, we, we went out um, just to a place near us that we've been to a hundred times before and um, pizza arrives and I take this photo and I put it on Facebook and I said something like, you know, having a great day with Sarah and you know, celebrate the end of the summer holidays with a pizza or something like that, you know. Um, so I just take this photo and uh, put my phone back in my pocket and, you know, immediately it starts vibrating all the people are liking this status and everything, you know. And So I've written this pizza up, my phone's vibrating in my pocket and I put some on Sarah's plate and she goes... I'm not eating that. <laughs> and I say, why? It's, you know, it's pepperoni pizza. You, you ask for a pe- pepperoni pizza. You know, you, you love this. You've had it before. It's too spicy. You literally haven't even tried it. You haven't, got it, you haven't even picked it up. You, know, you haven't even put it anywhere near your mouth. It's too spicy. So we go back and forth for a bit in the middle of this crowded restaurant. And I say, right, I'll pick the pepperoni off. I'll just put all the pepperoni on mine and you can just seat it plain. I pick all the pepperoni off. She has the smallest bite. Still spicy. Can still taste the pepperoni. We go back and forth, and eventually, I lose. And she hardly eats any of this pizza. I reckon it's probably top three worst restaurant experiences I've had with small children. Um, And there's been quite a few over the last five years, as you you can imagine. But the thing is that all throughout all this thing, what's happening? My phone's vibrating in my pocket, isn't it? What actually was happening, the reality of the situation... Nothing at all like what was going on on social media. Social media isn't real, that's the thing. But it affects the way that we think about ourselves because we compare ourselves, our real warts and all lives, to this sanitized highlights package that we see of other people. Here's another issue. This, for the uninitiated, is FOMO, it's the acronym for fear of missing out, Um, defined as a pervasive apprehension that others might be having rewarding experiences from which one is absent, or more simply, the fear that if you miss an event, you'll miss out on something great. Now, this is another thing, isn't it? This is old as the, age, you know, old as the dawn of time. It's nothing to do with, really with social media, but the rise of it has definitely exacerbated this problem. Now, because of people checking in on Facebook or posting updates on Instagram or Snapchat, you know that you're missing out in real time you know, when I was in school, you know, and something exciting happened on a Friday night that you weren't there, you just found out about it on Monday morning. You know, it wasn't so much FOMO as Mo, really. Um, but for young people now, you could be at a party, out doing something, and even while you're there with all these people that you know, you're worrying that you're not at the cool party, that all the cool kids are across town doing something else. It's a huge issue for young people. The thing about FOMO is I think it's often born out of an insecurity about who we are. I'm not cool, so I'm sure I'm not at the cool party. Let's just check Instagram to see where everybody else is. But I wonder whether it's bigger than that. I wonder whether envy in all its forms is born out of an insecurity about who we are. This could be something as small as getting upset over somebody's Facebook status. I'm the luckiest girl in the world. Can't believe John's taking me to Paris for our anniversary. Just found out I got my dream job and it comes with a £10,000 pay rise. Now, come on, who hasn't looked at similar things on social media as this and had some thoughts that probably weren't all that Christian? (laughs) But it could be more serious than that, couldn't it? It could be that you were brought up being told that you'd never amount to anything, that you weren't worth anything, that you weren't as good as your brother, your sister, your cousin, somebody else's kids. And it could be that even now you're an adult, this insecurity doesn't manifest itself in complaining about somebody's Facebook status, but it manifests itself in looking at other people and thinking, yeah, my parents were right. He will amount to more than me. She is more worthy than I am. If that is you, I'd like you to look at this. It says, Imago Dei. As many of you will know, it's Latin for image of God. And it refers to the theological doctrine that every single human being is created in the image of God. You are made in the image of God. God formed you. God made you in the image of the creator of the world. One more slide. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. That's from Psalm 139. It's written by King David. This is the same King David who some years before had been out walking, had envied, seen somebody bathing that he liked, that he was attractive to. Because he was the king, he got her brought to him and he slept with her. He committed adultery with her. He then wanted to marry her, but she was married to a guy called Uriah. He was a soldier currently fighting in a battle to protect David's kingdom. So David got Uriah sent to the front line of this war, so that he would be killed so that then he could marry Bathsheba. David was a man who had messed things up, and he knew that he had messed things up. His failures were huge. His envy of Uriah's wife led him to get Uriah killed. Yet despite this, God loved him. David knew enough about God's grace towards him and God's love for him, despite his many huge failings, that later on he could go on to write, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You are made in the image of God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You, in the exact place you're in at the moment, with your beautiful imperfections, your faults, everything that you think is wrong with you, you are enough. In the eyes of God, and in the eyes of this community of friends around you, remember that you are enough. And I think as a community this morning, our task is like I was saying about the Ten Commandments. Our task is internal and external. There will be some of us who will be sitting here thinking, yeah, I, actually, I, I have my security in God. I have my security about who I am. I, I don't struggle too much with this kind of thing because, yeah, I've, you know, I have that security. But I think that for those of us who are thinking like that at the moment, we have the external job. So our task is to find those people who we love, who we know do struggle with this kind of thing, and we need to tell them how great they are. We need to tell them how special God finds them, and we need to tell them how special we find them. Now, I really struggle with, with this kind of thing. It's not easy for me to, to start those conversations, but it's hugely important, particularly for men. I recently read an article about male suicide Adult male suicide kills four times as many people that adult female suicide does in the UK. It says that emotional isolation for men in the UK is as high a risk factor for mortality as smoking. Emotional isolation is as risky as smoking. In a six-year study of middle-aged men, attachment to a single person, generally a spouse, Attachment to a single person, a spouse, did not lower the risk of heart attack and fatal heart disease at all. But having a strong social support network made a massive difference. Having a friend that you confide in, male or female, a friend that you can honestly and genuinely chat to about what's really going on for you, can literally save your life. That's what the medical research says. I find it difficult to prioritise those relationships. I find it difficult to start those conversations, if I'm absolutely honest with you. If I go to the pub with a mate of mine, I'm, I'm much much more comfortable starting a conversation about sport than just having a beer and going home. I'm there, if anybody else wants to bring that conversation up, I'm there to answer any questions, but I really struggle with starting those kind of things. Um, I'm sure for lots of you that sounds ridiculous, but that, that is where I'm coming from. And I think I think the task that God sets us and the task I need to recommit myself to is to put myself in those positions and have those conversations. I think we are called to stand with those who are struggling, those who, for whatever reason, are failing to understand that they are made in the image of God, that they are fearfully and wonderfully made, that they are enough. But as I finish. I know that there'll be some of us here this morning who the people who struggle with this kind of thing that's us, that's not our friends that is us, we are the people who struggle to know these things about ourselves we struggle to know that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, we struggle to know that this is true for each one of us so I'm just going to end as, as Flick and the band come back up to play, um, I'm just going to end by reading something um, I just invite you to To think about this for yourself, to think about this for the other people that you know, and then we'll sing another song to end. May you realize that you are enough. May you today stand in front of the mirror, look at all those familiar bumps and blemishes and realize that in the eyes of God and in the eyes of this community that surrounds you, that you are enough. May you lay down the baggage of your past and the baggage of your present. No, may you lay down the baggage, look at it, pick it up again, pile it up, drench it with lighter fluid, lighter match, set fire to the baggage, turn around, walk away from it and never be bothered by it again because you are enough. May you then look forward, may you walk forward May you see in front of you a new destination and may you see around you, surrounding you, a community of like-minded believers who are cheering you on, carrying you forward with you every single step along the journey. And may you realize today and forever that you are enough.